Here we go, December 11, 2011, lecture discussion number 49 on the Book of Romans. And being that this is the last month of the year, uh, the darkest time for sure up here, the winter solstice for our hemisphere, and that, by the way, I was talking to Natalia earlier, that includes Jerusalem, by the way, as opposed to, say, Australia. Anyway, this is a heavy dark for us here in Alaska. And um, it's been quite fun to hear from others from all over the world and all over the country, uh, Bermuda, uh, Nebraska, Texas, Oklahoma, and Arizona uh, sent us things this week. It's kind of neat. And they're sending us cards and letters, and they're calling, and it's pretty amazing um, for our little group here on a very bad snow day. They outnumber us a 100 to 1 now, easily, maybe a 1,000 to 1. We're not really sure. So there's so many of them, and and as I said, it's amazing and unexpected for sure. No one, None of us, and certainly not me, thought we'd have the response that we're getting. So I just wanted to mention a few. It's something, as you know, that I do because I want them to feel as part as I can. And I want to say thank you to so many of them. Um, a gentleman named David in North Platte, Nebraska, sent us a, a card. And, um, and David, I just want you to know I have a friend in uh, North Platte. And I know we're all excited that I have a friend. I know but I worked with a guy at the Alaska Railroad. I think he came out of North Platte uh, because of Union Pacific or the Southern Pacific. I can't remember which railroad he came out of, but he came to Alaska. His name is Doug Johnson. So, Dave, if you find Doug Johnson, we worked at the railroad together. I think he's in North Platte pretending to be a rancher. He's retired. And he called me the day he was retiring to mock me for not being able to retire. And I uh, I, uh, we laughed about that. But anyway, if you come across Doug Johnson, David, and North Platte, let him know what I'm doing, and then stand back. The shock may result in traumatic injuries, and I don't want you to be collateral damage. But uh, let him know. I'm sure he will be just, he will fall down into convulsions, uh, and it will be fun for you to watch. Also, uh, uh, we have Gene in Flagstaff, Arizona, and Gene found us through Sally Williams. I don't know if you folks remember Sally Williams, but Sally is out there passing out CDs and such. And Sally, uh, I hope you're doing great, and uh, we're thankful for you. And Gene, of course, we're thankful for you as well. Um, no stopwatch because we can't turn the monitor towards the window. Ah, so that turned out to be what the problem was. Okay, I should look at the time which I'll promptly now forget. And a lot of you guys know Janet and Dan in Bixby, Oklahoma. They're expecting their second grandchild, and they want you to know. And it is a girl, and she's expected on May 8th. And so uh, now uh, a lot of you are also aware that my birthday is when? Yeah, my birthday is May 5th. And you know that because it is called Cinco de Stevo. And I have been calling it, as you know, if Louie were here, Louie would say the first thing he learned from me was that my birthday was Cinco de Stevo when he was 14 years old, and that the whole basketball team had to celebrate it, whether they wanted to or not, in summer league. Anyway, I've been saying that for over 50 years. I started out saying it when I found out it was a holiday, and I decided to assign it to me. It's probably eight or nine when I did that, but and slowly but surely I'm winning, you know that. You all knew when my birthday was. Why? 
because of Cinco de Stevo. Anyway, if Janet and Dan's grandchild, which is due on the 8th, right, just happens to be born on the 5th, what do you say? What are the chances three days early? That would be just so great. And then without question, the appropriate name for the little girl would be what? Stephanie, that's right, carrying on the tradition. Clearly, it's a sign, and uh, we have to know that. And finally, Jay and Pegathy, uh, they are also, they have a granddaughter, and she was born Joanna and um, just a few days ago, I think. And um, I'm continually amazed at how old Jay has become. And Jay and Pegathy, I want you to know that we're doing the... the uh, party event on December 30th, and so we would like you to come. Um, Jay would have a lot of fun, and, and no, Jay would not have a lot of fun. Jay does not have fun. Jay's the only one I know that pulls the blinds down at, at, in the middle of winter and likes it that way. And, uh, anyway, we are grateful for Jay and Pegathy, and I wanted everybody to know about their granddaughter. And these are all folks who do not attend here, as you know. But they are among uh, the actively within the Internet listeners. Uh, there's We don't know how many there are. We can only estimate. Um, I would guess that on any given Sunday, we go well over 500. In a month, we go over 2,000. So it's a, a huge group out there now. And that's just two sites that I'm pretty well aware of. I don't know what iTunes is doing. Um, so we're just grateful. Uh, for all you folks that are faithfully helping us, and um, we don't know what to say. And so I wanted to say thanks to these few that sent me cards, and this is why I took this opportunity. Okay, where are we? Where have we been? And the answer is the same for both of those questions. We're in Romans chapter 4, that's where we were, and now we're still in Romans chapter 4. But you won't notice that today, because it'll seem like we're in Hebrews. But we're not, we're in Romans chapter 4, even though we're in Hebrews. That'll make sense eventually. This is the, (coughs) what does the scripture say chapter? This is the place where Paul screams out, what does the scripture say? And what is he talking about here? He's talking about what does the scripture say about grace-based salvation or salvation by grace, salvation by belief versus what? Works-based, law-based, which is what the, the predominant Jewish culture was overwhelmed by. Romans chapter 4, if you haven't noticed by now, is in the center of the doctrine of salvation. If you haven't noticed by now, the whole book of Romans is in the center of the salvation by grace through faith, belief. Doctrine in the name of in the name in the blood of Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh. That is what Romans is about. Romans chapter four is where Paul finally begins to fight with everything he's got. Because why? Why does Paul do this? Paul's carrying a tremendous burden. What burden is he carrying? He's a murderer of who? Christians. By how many did he kill? Hundreds, if not thousands, is very good at it. And he's carrying that burden. Uh, Lori and I were watching a gentleman uh, uh, do things on uh, doing gospel music, spiritual music uh, on the Internet the other day. And, and I think he brought up Amazing Grace and the story of that man who was a slave trader. Uh, very similar to Paul's story. He got the he got the music of that 
from his slave trade experience for that great song. How could he be saved? How could Paul be saved? Both of those men share that. How could they be saved? Who would save them? And Paul carries that with him, and you should know why. He's Saul, isn't he? He's the murderer, and he and he strikes and fights, and he wants everyone to know what he knows. That's what he's doing in the book of Romans. It's almost... Um, I was talking to somebody recently who... who um, had gotten M.R. DeHaan's great book, uh, Portraits of Christ in Genesis. Um, and M.R. DeHaan's very last sermon is in that book where he's about to die. And he knows he's about to die. And he is going to make sure you understand something. His last broadcast. He did that last broadcast, sat down in his chair and died. It's powerful. He knew he was out of time. He's a pediatrician. He's a doctor. And so... This is what Paul is doing as well in Romans in the sense that uh, he does it also in Timothy. But he has this great burden. And so he's going to get into this debate, isn't he? And he strikes first. Now, understand the Holy Spirit has chosen Paul, hasn't he? Christ has met with him face to face. Paul strikes first with Abraham. That's his first blow, if you will. Abraham, he's going to attack the Jews who have this incredible law-based, pharisaical-based system uh, where they believe so strongly that they are saved based on an obedience, based on circumcision. So he strikes first with Abraham. And he says, Abraham is saved because Abraham believed God. That's why Abraham was saved. Believed God. So we're beginning to see this structure of believe God. Abraham. Imagine the Jewish culture when somebody begins to say Abraham is saved because Abraham believed God, Genesis 15, 6. Imagine their response to that. And then Paul's second blow is David. Again, look at what he's doing. Who's he, who's he addressing? He's, he's, he has this tremendous heart for the Jewish community, and he knows they are backwards. He's going to fix it. By the way, how are we doing today in the church today? Oh, we're a mess. Probably as much as more, or more so than it was then. Paul's second blow is David. David confirms this. He, David's confirmation of the truth of salvation by grace. Abraham believed God and was saved, not by works, not by works, no human-based effort, no ceremonies, no pilgrimage, no traditions, no memberships will save you. He is saved because he believed God. And believed God is now put in direct opposition to works. Believe God is salvation, and it's actually Him who works. Believe God, if you look at the text, is exactly opposite in contrast to Him who works. Believe God is equal to salvation, and Him who works is equal to debt or condemnation. Now, David, he presents David after he gives you Abraham, he presents presents David, and David is celebrating the truth of believe God. So we have the celebration of David, the comp, comp, I'm sorry, confirming. Now, 
David, again, celebrates this truth of believed God. He rejoices. He declares the blessedness. This is the order of Romans chapter 4, if you're following along. He rejoices. He declares the blessedness of the man to whom God saves apart from works. Now, why would David be in such a celebration or a celebratory mindset? You should know why David celebrates. Why does David celebrate? What's David? He's a murderer. And a rapist. We have Abraham and we have David. That's the first two things in order in Romans 4. The first two things that, uh, uh, for those of you on the internet, the thousands of you, I said hi there to Samantha, who is visiting back. Hi, Samantha. Say hi to all the thousands of people on the internet. Yeah, she wouldn't. She wouldn't do that. But uh, again, first, first, Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul brings Abraham into it. And then he brings David's celebration of it. Abraham, David, and then finally the hammer blow uh, in order. One, two, three, and it's circumcision. David. Or sorry, Abraham believed God, David celebrated, believed God, and now circumcision. And he says that Abraham was saved by faith, believing God before, before he was circumcised. So Abraham was saved before his own circumcision. And then he goes on to say, Abraham, the model, the forerunner for all who are saved, received the sign of circumcision while he was uncircumcised. So in other words, he's saved and he is given the sign of circumcision before he circumcised. The act of circumcision is third. That is what Paul is doing, making sure you see the order. Circumcision is third behind Abraham and David. And circumcision to the Jews is what? Wow, there goes the power maybe. We're in a so-star up here today. For those of you who are wishing you should visit us, don't do it. It's dark, it's cold, and it's going to snow three feet. If we're lucky. And that was the power trying to go out. So if the power goes out, We're going to eat a cold buffet. Don't worry about us. We know how to survive this. Not like you in California. (laughs) Anyway, the worst thing that can happen to California, no offense, California, is that you lose your power. Is that will, uh, you need air conditioning there. We don't need it here. We need firewood. Okay, where was I? Whoa, it's getting spooky. We may or may not make it. What's that? Oh, it's really blowing bad out there, isn't it? Yeah. You are by, once Adair drove in from Wasilla, 60 miles away, we decided to have church tonight. How far away did you come, Samantha? Phoenix, Arizona. Wow. And Pat, I know Pat, you come in, yeah, from the Butte, which, wow. So, that's amazing. The act of circumcision is third. It's third. Circumcision to the Jews is what? What do they think of circumcision? What are they so sure of? They're absolutely positive of one thing. What is it? If I am circumcised as a Jew, what am I? 
automatically saved by the very act. And what is Paul doing through the Holy Spirit? He's saying Abraham is saved before he is circumcised. David celebrates the believed God, the grace portion of that circumcision. The sign of circumcision isn't even given to Abraham until after he is saved. And this is, a, this is the Mount Everest of ceremonies, if you will. And now to the Jews, this was stunning truth, paralyzing truth, shocking truth. And by the way, it's still shocking today. You'll find some on the, uh, uh, who will go towards dual covenantism. Uh, I'll explain that some other day. But that's, by, that's saying essentially that the Jews are saved by circumcision and not by the blood of Christ. Very difficult to defend that in light of Romans 4 and a Pharisee who was a murderer, who was a great teacher of Israel, who is now saved by grace, trying to make sure everyone understands that because of the burden he carries, arguing the total opposite of dual covenantism. But that's another lecture for another day. Salvation does not result from a ceremony. It is a supernatural event. I can't say that enough. It is not a physical event. And so many wish that that were not so. So few understand this. God, who is spirit, has designed his plan of salvation to be spiritual, not physical. Sorry. Not really sorry. He wants his salvation system to be belief, spiritual, grace, gift, sacrifice, blood. And man desires otherwise. Man desires to insert himself uh, and to insert himself physically. We not only want to be involved in the salvation system, By the way, do we belong in the salvation? Why would we want to be in the salvation system? Ask yourself, why do you want that? Why does anyone want that? But anyway, we not only want that, but we want to insert ourselves into into it physically so we can do something physically that will get us to be saved. And once again, the contrast between the spiritual reality and the physical reality rears up here. Immediately, we should ask why. Why does humanity seek? Why does humanity desire? Why does humanity long for a works-based salvation system when it is clearly condemned in Romans 4? Bang! What's the motive? God, I'll help you here, God foremost desires us to be what kind of person? A humble person. A meek person. He says, blessed are those who mourn. What he means by that is those who are like Paul and like David, who mourn for the sin that they have committed and who are in grief over what they have done. Mourners of our sin and our sinfulness, humble, meek, Remember Moses. What's Moses called by God? He's called humble. That's what God's after. He's after to transform us into a person of humility. Who is the person of humility? Why does God want us to be humble and not arrogant? Because God himself is humble. Christ, who is God, right? He, by adding humanity, is humiliated himself. That is what it's called doctrinally. His earthly ministry is called his humiliation. 
But mankind is not this way, are we? We are proud. Mankind is proud and arrogant and narcissistic and self-centered. And Same word, I know, I just keep doing it so that people will understand what I say. That's why I'm redundant a lot. I want you to look at the sin of Satan, Ezekiel 28. What was it? Was it hum- was he humble? No. He thought he could do something. He thought he had God boxed into a corner. Now, I'm not sure that he believed that he did, but he was certainly uh, arrogant enough to think that he could convince others. He bet on the, on the proud or the pride of the created. And how's that worked out for him? got a pretty high success rate. We puny humans, we puff our chests and we clang the bell and we jump up and down and we scream for attention. What is that? Childishness, isn't it? It is exactly the small child in the supermarket wanting the cocoa puffs. That's us. Some of us can stop it uh, in public. Most of us can't, but we're all the same. So whenever anyone declares that you must perform something, I want you to think immediately. Because they'll do it in churches all over the world. They'll do it all over the city. They will tell you, you must perform something in order to prove that you were saved or in order to be saved. They'll tell you to your face. Think what? That's right. Trained monkey. It's a trick. I will... I will make the music and you will perform the trick. And if you do, then you're what? You're saved. Who declares you to be so? A man does. Not a man does. A man does. Is that the plural of Amanda? A man die is the plural of Amanda? Okay, I need to know things like that. I do. Amanda is not here today. She is not holy. We will not get her as good a Christmas gift as we do Lindsay. For example, that's what will happen. We will take part of Amanda's gift and give it to Lindsay, who is celebratory now. Huh? Amanda was, it's the favorite one. That's true. That's true. She could get it back by naming the child Stephanie, couldn't she? That's right. Sorry, Lindsay. Okay, anyway. Anyone... Whenever anyone declares that you must perform something, a trick, a think trained monkey, think Polly wants a cracker, think Skittle, whatever. But anybody that does that to you and says that you have to do it in order to be saved, uh, or that you have uh, likewise great authority or power in some way, or anyone brags about his sinlessness or any other attribute as a reason for their salvation, you answer with Abraham David circumcision. And then ask him a couple of questions. Ask them, how is this man plus God theory that you're proposing to me a humble spirit? Ask them, how is this respectful of God? Because I'll submit to you, it is highly disrespectful. It is peg the meter disrespectful. How is this Christ honoring? How is this a high view of Christ? Realize something. Who gets glorified in a him who works plus God scenario? Ultimately, it's a man glorification. Anything that glorifies man is what? Sin. Has to be sin. 
The only person who can be glorified without it being sin is who? God. So he doesn't glorify himself because he's wanting all the attention. He's the opposite of that. He's glorifying himself because he is the only one who can be glorified. Any glorification in any other form will be sin. And see, he's confirming that right there. Actually, he's going to turn the lights out on me in any moment. And I'm kidding about that, obviously. I have a more complex view than that. Anyway, always choose the highest view of Jesus Christ. Always choose the highest reverence for God. Reject that which elevates yourself. Reject that which inserts yourself. Holy mackerel, honey child. It's getting bad. I want to shut the door to keep the snow out. It's blowing really hard. We're, we're going to have to uh, spend the night here, I think. Oh, that'll make friends out of everybody. Yeah. Some of you are starting to walk home right now. <laughs> Always choose the highest view of Jesus Christ. Always choose the highest reverence for God. Reject that which elevates yourself. Reject that which inserts yourself. Question your motives when you're doing that because your motives are going to be narcissistic. They're going to be sinful. We must know what we are, where we come from. What we are is predisposed to think and do and say uh, that will get ourselves involved where we don't belong. So know where we are, what we are, and where we come from, and what we're predisposed to do. And then celebrate and rejoice with gladness our salvation. Be like David. He knows who he is, celebrates the salvation that what? He has no business getting. Same for Paul. Celebrate, rejoice, be grateful for our inheritance, our sonship or daughtership that is given through belief in the name of Jesus Christ. Run from those who even hint otherwise. Ask them why they want to inject themselves with, into this. Why do they so trust themselves? Why do they want this power? And ask all of that while you do what? Run away from them. There's an old story about a man stuck in quicksand. You can find it in lots of places. Probably not true. But it's an analogy. So, And he's sinking, and he's dying, and it's hopeless. And his plan is to grab his own hair with both hands. Now, I would do that for you if I had more. But his plan is to grab his hair with both hands and pull himself out of the muck. That's his plan. And you can laugh because it's obviously insane. But I'll tell you, 90% of all the churches today who are, call themselves Christian are teaching, pull yourself out of the quicksand with your own hands, by your hair. That's what they're teaching. What's worse is these guys who are in the quicksand, sinking and dying and hopeless, grabbing their hair, this kind of thinking. What do they do? They spread it. They spread it to the others foundering in the pit with them. And pretty soon, we have a whole host of people who are suffocating with fistfuls of their own hair. When we dig them out, they have a handful of their own hair. Now, that's that's crazy. But that's what it is. That's the reality of the condition of the church today. Matthew 20, Laodicea, it's right there. 
Matthew 23:15 Woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte and when he is one you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself Again know your own condition we must know ourselves we must humble ourselves when we know ourselves let go of our own hair or in my case ears what, what, what's there? Reach out instead. Instead of grabbing your own hair and trying to pull yourself out, dying with a handful of hair, ripping one of your ears off, what's there? Yeah, there's an offered hand that descends from above. All you got to do is grab that. How hard is that? Obviously, it's pretty hard because it's really rare. Everybody wants to die with hair, their ears, teeth, rip their nose off. That might not be a bad idea. Never mind. But <laughs> they do tell you that your your fingernail, I'm sorry, your your ears and your nose continues to grow as you get older. And I don't think that's the truth. I think that your face shrinks. That's my theory. And so I'm hoping that works out for me because I need some face shrinkage as soon as possible. Anyway. Just take the hand that is descending from above, the offered hand. And do you think he's going to pull his hand back? It's some kind of, you know, 15-year-old handshake thing going on. He's not going to pull his hand back. Do you think he's got a bad grip? He's got a hold of, oh, too much WD-40. He's going to let go of you. WD-40 is more powerful than... Greece is more powerful than God. Do you think he's not able to hold on to you or that he's unwilling to hold on to you? So you have him not able to save you and unwilling to save you. Either one. What are you saying about his character now? Yeah, you're saying that he's evil if you carry it to its natural end. Such disrespect. Do not have that disrespect in you. Purge it out. Have the highest view of Christ you can have. Okay, that was the introduction. So now we'll start the sermon. A couple of people have gasped, and that's very funny. I love that the most. Whenever Romans 4 is being discussed, what do you got to do? That's right. You got to go to Hebrews. You got to go to James 2. Not James chapter 2. James also. But there is so much concern about Hebrews. So whenever we do Romans 4... We've got to include the five warnings of the book of Hebrews. Uh, Jonas asked me a while back, how do I fight these people who want to fight me over this? Well, you've got to know the five warnings of the book of Hebrews. Did you know that there are five warnings in the book of Hebrews? Because there are. And specifically, the warnings number two and number three. You need to know all five, and I'll make sure you know all five before we're done. But today we'll get to numbers two and three. Not very well. We'll just knock, knock into them a little bit, but so that you are aware. I have the position, as you may be, uh, maybe, as you may know, I have the position that the author of the book of Hebrews is obviously and clearly the Apostle Paul. Um, some disagree. But I take that position based on the theme of Hebrews, that there's five warnings. And I know what those five warnings are warning about. And they fit beautifully with the book of Romans. John, and the reason that door will not lock, 
is because it's I opened it with the key and put it in the unlocked position. So let me give you the key, and you guys can keep the snow from coming in. Oh, uh, Jack is on the way. So uh, sorry about that. I, I didn't notice what was happening until right now. For those of you on the Internet, uh, we are having quite the little storm here, and we're persevering, all because we want to watch the football game and eat the buffet. So that's the key to having a much larger crowd, and that is always feed them after the sermon. Now, again, five warnings. And those five warnings, what do you think he's warning about in the book of Hebrews? What's being warned about? I can tell you right off the bat, he's warning about him who works and believe God in contrast. He's doing it again. Paul's doing it again. And, and so there's a beautiful symmetry between the book of Romans and the five warnings of Hebrews. There's also Paul's signature closing. Paul always closed everything he wrote. Grace be with you all. Amen. That's what he does. So there's his closing in Hebrews. So not only do I have the symmetry or the, uh, the complementing that is going on, this beautiful fit with Romans, I also have the grace be with you all. Amen. Why would Paul say grace be with you all? Because he got grace. And he thought no one deserved grace. Uh, no, one needed, no one should have. I should not, Paul, would have said to himself, I should not have gotten any grace. How could he not want grace for everyone? He considered himself to be the worst of all. So did David, by the way. So the relationship between Romans and Hebrews and the closing is evidence for Paul as the instrument for authorship of Romans. And I submit that it is powerfully so. By the way, it becomes the 14th epistle, which that would be very, very important as opposed to 13. And those who disagree, they cite Hebrews 2, 2 uh, 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 verse 3, which they believe is evidence of a secondary hearing as opposed to hearing direct from Christ himself. They think that Hebrews 2, uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 is somehow saying that the author of the book of Hebrews heard it from somebody else, did not get their direct revelation from Christ. And I think that... That uh, that conclusion is not warranted from the text. We'll get to that in the weeks to come, if I have time. Anyway, that was mostly for the Internet folks who have a very high interest for those kinds of debates and have told me to include that, those kinds of things when I can. So I've done that for you guys uh, because um, um, you don't get the pizza. Regardless, there are five warnings, and therefore, to understand Hebrews properly, to avoid interpretive error, one must go through the book of Hebrews. Yes, it's booming pretty good in here, isn't it? Uh, you shouldn't be scared, Markel. You're from here. But anyway, I wonder what the, uh, what the wind velocity is out there. The other day, it was 118 in, Glen, in the Glen Alps which is not very far from where we're at, 118 miles an hour. What do they call that in the south? Yeah, they call that a hurricane. We call that, you know, you're going to have to replace a couple of shingles. Um, I really did enjoy watching Hurricane Andrew, the aftermath, in one sense, because they had a neighborhood, you might have seen it, they had a neighborhood where every house was gone but one. One house. All the rest of them gone. And I felt badly for those people and, and all of that. But it was amazing to see this one house. What's the obvious question? Hundreds of houses gone, flattened. But this one house, 
And the, the answer to that is the house was built by that particular homeowner. And what did he do? He, he believed the structural engineer and he put the plywood on horizontally and he put uh, double king studs and wherever he had uh, a truss tail come in contact with the plate on the outside wall, he put a hurricane tie. Just like the instruction said. And his house is still there and the other's gone. Once again, evidence that we should all follow instructions. <laughs> Why did all the women laugh? I, I, just, uh, I uh, you know, it, it isn't that difficult to withstand a 118 mile an hour wind. I, uh, granted, we didn't have the duration, uh, the hours and hours of it, but still, we get it here every now and then. We call it high wind warning, um, and that's about it. Okay, where was I? You gotta find the five warnings. You gotta find each warning. If you don't know where the warnings are, you're not gonna understand the book of Hebrews properly. And then you're gonna make all kinds of mistakes, and you're going to think that Romans somehow conflicts with Hebrews, which it doesn't. It was written by Paul, and it is not in any way conflicting. So, first you gotta find the warnings. Really, they're danger. They go danger, Will Robinson. There's five danger Will Robinsons in there. You gotta find them. And one, first thing you gotta do, but once you find those, after that, you gotta determine who exactly is being warned. Who's he warning? Why did he want to warn these people? Who is it that he is warning? What I mean by that, are these saved people or unsaved people? Are they saved Jewish Christians or are they saved unsaved or saved Gentile Christians? Wow. Uh, might want to mute. No, you can't, can you? Um, mute everything but 19 and 17, Terry, and try to save the uh, subwoofer that keeps... Going boom and the power fluctuates. So find each warning and then figure out who exactly is being warned and there's an impending or potential danger coming. What is the impending or potential danger? And that seems pretty straightforward. It should be navigable. High navigability. Is navigability a word? It should be. I like navigability. So, anyway, you should be able to navigate your way through this. How can it be so tough? What could go wrong? And uh, truthfully, unfortunately, the waters here are filled with shipwrecks. Filled. i got wrecked ships everywhere. i got downed planes. They didn't even have planes. I still got them. It's a veritable graveyard of sunken vessels in the book of Hebrews. And I never have gotten it. Other than people just want to be wrong so badly. They love being wrong so badly you cannot convince them. They like being wrong. They want others to be wrong. But I got busted pieces everywhere, and very few scholars make it to the dock through Hebrews. Very few. The rocks and the sharks get, get the overwhelming majority, and it's hard to explain the carnage. But as usual, a, a few make it through. Arnold G. Fruchtenbaum makes it through. M.R. DeHaan makes it through. It seems to me that if I was going to get on a boat, I'd want a captain knew how to get to the harbor. So follow those guys. They made it. Nobody gets through it perfect. Don't misunderstand me. But they made it really easily. They had, their, their ships got there. No fatalities. Okay. So we're going to take it on. I'm going to try to teach you how to get through this. 
And uh, we'll try to find the obvious questions. We've got just a few minutes as I read it here. And I want you to try to maintain the consistency of what we just learned in the last few weeks in Romans 4. You have to know that what is in Hebrews is exactly the same as Romans 4. If you start thinking it's not, then what's happened? You have hit a rock. You're on the reef. Your boat's getting smashed. So here we are. We're going to do warning number two, Hebrews 3, 7 through 19. So I'm going to read today. It's a lot, I know, but I'll go fast. And as I read it, you say to yourself, this is exactly the same as salvation by grace in, through faith, through belief in the blood, in the person, in the name of Christ Jesus. It is not by works. So here we go. Romans 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What's the obvious question? What rebellion? Do you think that somehow, after you have been saved, you can harden your heart and lose your salvation? And that is what uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 8 is saying. Do you think that? If you think that, you hit the reef. You're in trouble. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of the of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. There's your clue, by the way. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts. Do you think they lost their salvation? Are you thinking right now going astray in their hearts is the same as they somehow fell back into the quicksand? If you do... You do not understand Hebrews. And they have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. Do you think my rest, defined by God, is eternal life? If you think that, once again, you're on the reef. Tell yourself, okay, wait a minute. I have to say, that can't be what it is, because that would be in what? Conflict with Romans 4. And it can't be in conflict. It is the same author, Holy Spirit, and it is the same author, Apostle Paul. Here is the warning right here. Beware, brother, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. If you think that an evil heart of unbelief means that you have given up your salvation, then what? You're on. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened, hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard rebelled? That's a question. Who having heard rebelled? What do you got to do? You got to answer that question. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Again, you got to answer that question. 
Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Okay? That's warning number two. You really, you could write in your Bible at verse 12, the, the danger, Will Robinson, there. The danger. Be alert. Now, obvious question number one. What is the context? What is the context? Where in the Old Testament did this happen? Which rebellion is he talking about? Which trial in the wilderness is he talking about? Which place is it that they're talking where Moses and Aaron are once again surrounded by a mob bent on killing them? You notice how often that happens? Moses and Aaron, almost every time you look, our heroes are surrounded by a mob threatening to kill them. It happens over and over and over again. Which time is it this time? Which is the context of Hebrews 7, or 3, 7 through 19? Well, as I said, the context is Numbers 13 and 14. That's what we're talking about here. That is the refusal of Israel to enter the promised land. The refusal of Israel to enter the promised rest. They rebelled because why? Big, big giants back there. Can't go in there. And the 40 years, as I said, is a clue. This is the generation that refused to go into the promised rest because of the giants, and they rebelled. They did not believe that God would slay the giants. And that generation now has a 40-year trip through the wilderness. That's what the 40 years means. So, who are we talking about? We are talking about the Exodus generation. And the Exodus generation. X-Gen. Right? Gen X. Generation X. That generation would not enter the promised rest except for who? Joshua and Caleb. So that is the context. And if you, if you fail to get that, big heap em wampum trouble. So, I have two generations really of, of Israel to compare. I have Exodus generation and what's the other generation? Yeah, I have the entering generation or the wilderness generation, the one that came up into the, the one that came up through the uh, wilderness, barn in the wilderness. So the Exodus and the entering generation or wilderness generation, absolutely correct. So, know that there is a contrast between the two of them. And what we're talking about now is the Exodus generation. Next, the issue of death must be defined here because they're clearly going to die. How many, what kinds of death do I have? I have physical death. What's the other death do I have? And I have that contrast to spiritual death. You see how this all nicely fits together. I have two kinds of death. Two kinds of generations. So which which generation is he talking about? He's talking about this one. Now you have to ask the question, is he talking about, is the context the physical death of that generation or the spiritual death of that generation? And I heard physical death, and physical death is correct, sir. You you are, well, you don't win anything. Sorry. See me on the 30th, where the winning happens and the depravity of humanity is exposed at the highest possible level. We do have people coming in from all over the country to participate in the mayhem. And so you don't want to miss it. Samantha, when are you leaving? 
Oh, everybody's so sad that Samantha will not win anything. That's what happens at this event, Samantha. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we have physical death versus spiritual death or spiritual judgment, if you will. So I have these two contrasts. Now, I know that it is physical death here. I know it is not talking about loss of salvation because I've got, I've got uh, Romans 4. If you think that, uh, that it is talking about spiritual death, you're in conflict with Romans 4. Now you're on the reef again. I want you to notice something really fast here. This group, this Exodus generation came out of where? He drew them out. He carried them out. He pulled them out, right? He redeemed them out with great power, didn't he? From where? Egypt. What's the obvious question? Did they ever go back to Egypt? They never made it back to Egypt, did they? What did he do to stop them? He stopped every single one of them, didn't he? How did he do it? He killed them in the wilderness. And not a single one got back to Egypt. Not one. What's Egypt mean in the context of that story? What was Egypt? He pulled them out of what? He pulled them out of death, didn't he? He pulled them out of condemnation, didn't he? He redeemed them with great power, didn't he? And not one of them went back. What doctrine is that? Go see Lot's wife. Lot's wife, she really wanted to go back to Sodom, didn't she? Did she make it? No, he buried her in salt. He didn't turn her into salt. Don't be cartoonish Hollywood. He he buried her in salt. He preserved her, didn't he? She did not make it back to Sodom. Okay. I'm going to prove to you that uh, it is physical death because I'm going to take you to Numbers 14, which is the context. So here we go. Got to hurry. Numbers 14, then the Lord said, and who's he talking to? He's talking to the generation that is rebelling, that is refusing to go into the uh, land that he has sent through, um, and now he's sending to uh, the 40 years and the physical death sentence. This is what he says to them. Then the Lord said, I have forgiven according to your word. I have pardoned according to your word. What's he saying there? I have forgiven because of your repentance. But truly, as I live, all the, earth, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Why is all the earth filled with the glory of the Lord? There can be no other glory but the glory of the Lord. Any other glory is sin. But he has said to them, I have forgiven you. I have pardoned you for your repentance, for your words. But the punishment of physical death is still in place. That's why I know it's physical death. Because I have forgiven you because of your repentance. But the punishment of physical death is still in place. An individual salvation is not affected. But the consequences, the physical consequences of their sin remain unchanged. That's the principle. That's the rule. That's the rule. Once a point of no return is reached, no matter how much repenting, no matter how much crying we do, no matter how much we regret being caught, I'm sorry, no matter how much real repentance we do, okay, the fact of physical judgment comes. Physical judgment comes. And that cannot be changed. That is the context of Hebrews 3. 
That is what's going on in Hebrews 3. No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll blow it up here in a minute when we start, restart the music. So, okay. Smoke is kind of cool. It makes an ambiance as the alarms, as the alarms go off. Okay. They can't get here. So we're okay. We'll still have pizza. Let me repeat the rule. And I'm sorry for those of you who think we're a reverent church on the internet. Again, here's the rule. Once a point of no return is reached, no matter how much repenting one does, physical judgment comes. It cannot be changed. That's the context of Hebrews 3. So when you read Hebrews 3, know that it has its relationship to Numbers 14. They, even though they were pardoned by God, they still went through the 40 years and they all died in the wilderness. Not one of them went back. To Egypt. Now, verse 12, uh, do I have time to do it? I can't see the clock. I really don't think I do, but uh, you guys can read verse 12. An evil heart of unbelief, a departing, a hardening, partakers hold fast, the provocation. Okay? That's an application, and then the lesson and the interpretation comes next, next because Paul asks those questions. Who were the people who provoked God? Verse 16. Who were the people who provoked Him? It's the people who he just finished rescuing. It's the Exodus generation. That's the one who provoked God. Who is it that sinned? It's those who died. Again, physical death. They sinned and suffered the physical consequences. Physical death. To whom did he say they would not enter the promised land? Again, it's the Exodus or the promised rest. Again, it's the Exodus generation. Disobedience to enter gave way to rebellion. The result was 40 years that ended with physical death. That's the context. Now, he is writing it to who? Who's he writing this to? Jews. How long has it been since the crucifixion of Christ? How long? It's been 40 years. Same thing. 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years from the crucifixion of Christ. What's going to happen now? Really soon. And he's telling them, Paul's telling them, don't, not to the Exodus generation, it was, go into the promised land. To this people whom he's writing, he's saying, it's been 40 years. What's going to happen? The destruction of the temple is going to happen. General Titus is coming. What's going to happen to everybody that is in Jerusalem? What are they going to suffer? Everybody. Physical death. Don't disobey and go into Jerusalem. It has the same contrast with the Exodus generation. If you go into Jerusalem, if you don't believe what Christ said, what did He say? Flee. Don't go. If you go in, there's danger. Danger. Don't go into Jerusalem. Paul is warning those Hebrew Christians. Physical death awaits if you return to Jerusalem. Beware. Warning number two. The warning of disobedience. Stay out of Jerusalem as Christ commanded. That's what he's doing. That's the context. It has nothing to do with loss of salvation. Nothing. If that's the way it's preached thousands of times, churches all over the country. Next week, warning number three, and I'll go back over this. Sorry about running out of time.